Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Kathy's Bald Move. This interview couldn't have been more timely because in our current climate, living amongst this corona crisis, we're all taking extra precautions to ensure that we're keeping ourselves and others safe by thoroughly washing our hands and social distancing. We've been learning to embed these practices into our daily lives for not even a month. But my guest today, Graham, has been doing these things every day for years. Graham has multiple myeloma. It's a type of blood cancer. It's more common in men than in women. And it's also incurable. It also means that Graham always has a compromised immune system and viruses or infections that affect us and that we combat relatively easily or quickly, they can be fatal for immunocompromised people like Graham. Even though it's an incurable cancer that Graham is living with, it is currently dormant, meaning that it's gone at the moment, but it could come back at any time. However, this doesn't stop him from enjoying life and just having a good laugh. And you'll soon see what I mean. So here it is, my interview with Graham. Today I've got Graham here with me and he'll be talking about his cancer journey with multiple myeloma. How are you, Graham? Apprehensive at the moment. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. <laughs> Don't like being the centre of attention. As much as the myeloma does that to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as always, I thought we'd start off by just talking about what was happening in your life before you received your diagnosis with multiple myeloma. Yeah, look, I was approaching the end of my 63rd year, and uh, so we were sort of planning for our retirement. We were looking around Gisborne for, for land to buy, and we... Uh, Actually, we found some, made an offer, and it was accepted 10 days prior to our or the cancer being diagnosed. And so that sort of threw a spanner in the works because I couldn't afford to buy that and not work. So uh, on the very last day of the cooling off period, we pulled out, and everyone was really good conveyances, didn't give us any penalties. The owner was able to sell it again the same day. So... Buying that land was pretty important for us. And um, uh, that sort of changed our plans quite a bit. Because you were I living tried... in Sydney at the time as well. Yeah, yeah, we lived, lived in Sydney. I was um, originally a Melbourne boy, grew up in, in Sunshine. So I was a Westie, as the Sydneyites would say. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we decided to come down here and then, you know, that plan was sort of stymied. But we started the treatments and then, you know, at a particular point, we said we can start looking again. So we did. And so so were you, did you start your treatment in Sydney? Yeah, started the, all the treatment happened in Sydney. It's a bit of a convoluted story, but I, I was working in aged care um, as a, an educator. I spent a lot of my time interstate, so away from home, probably four days a week. As such, you know, being relatively busy, I had to put off the referral I had for the for the MRI for some back pain I was having and I deferred that for about six or eight weeks when I finally finally had it on a on a Friday I think it was Friday the 7th of July 2017 
had that, was given the, the results and oh, given the images and uh, the technician said, you better get to your GP straight away. So uh, I've got a bit of a medical background. Uh, well, I'm a registered nurse and um, paramedic for nearly 20 years. And so I had a look at the, the images on the way home in the car, pulled over, if any police are listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I pulled over and had a look and down at um, lumbar vertebrae number four, it just didn't exist any longer. Did it make it harder because you had that background? Uh, probably a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. You know, I, I knew something was amiss, couldn't, couldn't tell exactly what was going on. Um, so that day my GP actually started annual leave. We got a, an appointment with the next most senior person in the practice and he scared the living daylights out of us. Uh, he told me because of the damage to the spine, Donna shouldn't go any bump, over any bumps on the way home. I would be a quadriplegic or paraplegic. I could lose control of my bowel and bladder over the weekend, so just take it easy. Take it easy. So um, he's not my favourite person. He didn't know what the disease was at that particular point. He just knew that there was a lesion there caused by something he doesn't know what. See, leading up to all this for at least five years that we can pinpoint, I had sciatica. And I put it down to all those years as a paramedic and a nurse was just a bad back. For those who don't know, what kind of symptoms do you get with sciatica? Well, the sciatica is purely just pain originating from the lower back, but it travels right down the sciatic nerve, which is probably about the thickness of your thumb. And uh, it goes all the way down to your ankles. Is it kind of like a tingling? Or? Uh, no, it's excruciating pain at its worst. When I was travelling, I'd spent nights writhing around on the bed just trying to relieve the pain. I thought it was just, you know, my back. And then it got to the point where I, I did see the GP but had to put it off because of what I thought were work commitments that I couldn't yeah. get out of. In the end, I, I had large cases to carry around. I had to ask people to to do that for me I couldn't I couldn't manage that and so I thought now's the time so on that 7th of July I had the MRI as I should have done <laughs> months earlier yeah yeah so that that weekend that the GP gave us a, a pretty crap time over um, we just didn't know what to expect we were in tears most of the most of the time had to tell uh, the kids uh, grandparents, oh, not my grandparents, but their grandparents, you know, they were, <laughs> they'd just left Sydney and were driving to Perth. That was going to be their new hometown. And uh, I remember ringing them up and they were three quarters of the way across. And mother-in-law just said, Graham, stop joking. You haven't got, <laughs> yeah, you haven't got cancer. Stop pulling my leg because I, I was always a joker, you know, around, around her. And then I got on the phone and confirmed it. As you can see, repeating the story um, is really hard. So what we did, we created some groups on Facebook and Facebook Messenger so that we could tell different people different different things. 
um, take that pressure off. Yeah, just to take the pressure off, so we didn't have to repeat it. You know, four hundred times. If I've got that many friends, um, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to repeat it multiple times. So you know, the family got a little bit more detail. Other friends, you know, just got a little bit less than that. On the Monday after that weekend, we uh, had an appointment to go and see a um, neuro neurosurgeon. Um, he was. He, he did everything from spines through to God knows what. And he said, yes, you have a lesion. Uh, we don't exactly know what it is. We'll have to get another couple of tests done. And so at that point that we knew it was a specific lump, uh, I named it Ahmed. <laughs> is there a reason that you named he, it? Yeah, uh, because they were going to hit it uh, with nuclear and chemical warfare. <laughs> And so um, the lump became known as, as Ahmed and uh, they did a biopsy within a day lying on the table. It was, you know, hurting a little bit. And they said, are you OK? I said, yeah, I'm fine, but if you're hurting me, you're hurting Ahmed worse. So, <laughs> and that was a good So thing. go right ahead. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, they did that. And then it was finally diagnosed as um, multiple myeloma. The major source was L4 vertebrae that had disappeared over the five, at least five years that I know of. So the cancer had eaten away at that point? Yeah, um, myeloma eats away at, at bone. There were other lesions further up in my spine, but they weren't as bad as that. But around L4, the cancer had come out of the bone and it came out as a plasmacytoma. And what's a plasmacytoma? Uh, it's... It's related to the myeloma, but it comes from the blood out of the plasma and it just continues to grow. And that's what was giving the sciatica. It had actually wrapped itself around what they call the corda equina, which is uh, the nerves that come out of your spine. It looks like a horse's tail. And so on both sides of the spine, it had wrapped around and that's what caused the sciatica. Once they knew it was myeloma, I was referred to a haematology oncologist. The haematologist was a great guy, good sense of humour, you know. Haematologist, yeah. they do deal with bloods and Their things? Yeah, blood disorders. Yeah, so he was the specialist who um, had a particular interest in myeloma and other blood disorders. He was an older guy, a bit older than me. Uh, <laughs> But but he had the best sense of humour. He, uh, he could put up with mine and give give back better than I could and give. Was the experience with him much better than the experience you had with the uh, GP? With the GP? Oh, chalk and cheese, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, so he was good. But he also, um, I saw him privately and he also worked at Westmead Hospital. So he recommended that I go public being a lot cheaper to do it that way and they had have an oncology team and so as much as the myeloma had done some damage to my spine that wasn't the priority as it turned out the radiation oncologist was more worried about the plasmacytoma because of the damage it was doing he thought I could end up para and so within a day I'd um had first of six um, doses of, of radiation to it. The following day I had the, the first dose and at the conclusion of it, 
they didn't x-ray, didn't do anything because they knew that the radiation was so successful with um, these types of lesions that they knew it was cured. And I knew because I was pain-free straight away. You know, just cured from, you know, the sciatic was gone. Yeah, you know? which would have been a relief after so oh, many years yeah. of pain. Oh, it was heaven on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, it was good. You know, once we had that, Everything was put in place for me to start a few rounds of chemotherapy. That wasn't the the most fun. I think I slept through most of the next four months, which was a, a really good way of, of coping <laughs> coping with it. I just remembered some information that were we were given uh, initially, and people were saying, just listen to your body. And mine was saying, rest. Donna's saying exercise. <laughs> My body's saying rest. <laughs> so, um, and Donna is Graham's wife, but just in case you didn't know. <laughs> oh, yes, taskmaster. Um, <laughs> so because I was resting so, so often, we set up a, a day bed in the land room so I could be with the, the family. And this sounds really bad, but, you know, Ambo's sense of humour. I call them my deathbed. You know, I'm just going on. <laughs> I'm on my deathbed for a while, <laughs> and um, you know, I'd I'd rather joke about it than get pity and and whatnot from it. And so, you're the type of person that has a sense of humour is just part of your makeup and almost uh, sort of giving up your sense of humour throughout it would be like giving cancer the oh, control it, of you in a way. I've probably got a really bad sense of humour. <laughs> The, the kids, you know, don't appreciate it, but I think I'm the funniest thing on earth. <laughs> so even when I I told, you know, friends, you know, that, that I had it, I, I said, look, I don't want your, your sympathy. You'll be rejected straight away. And I'll get back to you when I've got some news. And if you don't hear from me, I don't like Aram lilies. They're the lilies, you know, the death lilies that they oh, put on coffins. The I don't like those. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're the, the, the white ones. So I don't like those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm letting them know straight away what they should be <laughs> sending me. Yeah, it was an interesting time, the, the chemo. Um, one of the drugs they put me on, dexamethasone, um, it was horrible. It makes you put on weight, it redistributes fat, and makes you really grumpy. So I didn't call it dexamethasone. My name for it was Mexican Death Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to, but not, yeah. <laughs> not, the, not the same. But, um, yeah, I, I had two courses of that, and they started me on the third course of chemo. And then because um, I was having these reactions to the drug dexamethasone, I um, had the course modified and then they modified it again for cycle four and actually cut it short because Warwick, my haematologist, said, if we keep going, your eyes are going to disappear. You're just putting on so much. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, much because weight. you kept putting weight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, putting on weight. Yeah, I was just, you know, as fat as in the face. Which I think a lot of people sort of think the opposite, that mm. when you're going through treatment that you tend to lose weight, but yeah. it can happen the other I, well. that, That's the thing. With, with myeloma and a lot of the blood disorders, you look really well, but your blood results, when they come back, they're stuffed. They're nowhere near. Is, is <laughs> nowhere it harder in that way that people wouldn't know that you're sick, or do you prefer that people oh, don't Oh, I preferred know? that 
people didn't know, but if I did tell them or, or Donna would raise it, my favourite line again, really bad. I'm dying, you know. <laughs> you know, and I had no intention of doing that, but it's a great line. And, and what's people's reaction? Did they quite uncomfortable? Well, no, no. Uh, the, most of them would come back and say, we all are, you know. You know, from the minute you're born, you, yeah. you're on that journey to, to do that. And your cells are dying all the time. Um, because we were preparing our house in Sydney for sale we needed to update our kitchen so we got three different trades to come through and the first one this was what November 2017 we can probably do it in March and so I just looked at this guy and said geez I've got cancer you know I really wanted to see this kitchen finished (laughs) and you know those I said that to all three trades and you know we had the job done before Christmas (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so don't believe those tradesmen when they say they can't. So you used so, it to yeah. your advantage? Ah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so that was good fun playing with those guys. <laughs> and, well, that was at a stage where I'd finished all the, the chemo. I was having a break for four weeks. And so Donna was getting me to exercise as much as I could, which was walking a block, a house block away from our house and, and back again. That was as far as I could I could manage. One day I actually managed two blocks, two house blocks, and met a, met a neighbour who was uh, senior uh, nurse unit manager at Westmead, and she had a daughter who had just been through cancer and was in remission and whatnot, and um, she said, ah, you've got it, Graham. This is your new normal. <laughs> And that probably helped me more than anything. Thinking, yeah, no, there's no such thing as normal. And what I had before, that I didn't enjoy, you know, the back pain and whatnot, but that was normal. This one, just a new normal. It's fine. Let's get on with it. So it was almost like saying, this is your new normal, took away that pressure of trying to go back to how you were before. Trying, trying to recover what the health I had earlier and... Yeah, from from then on, look, I I had a pretty slack attitude towards it. It wasn't particularly bothering me. Death doesn't worry me. Death's nature's way of telling you to slow down. Yeah, but that just sort of gave me permission to just get on with it, you know, and just accept what you got. So after you did have your treatment and Mm. you'd you'd stopped, Mm. so we'll go back a little bit. Yeah, sure. You'd had your radiation. Had the radiation, had the chemo. And you knew that it it had worked because your back pain had worked. Well, I knew the radiation had worked because the back pain disappeared virtually instantaneously. The goal of the chemo was to reduce the level of, let me get this right, paraproteins in the blood. The paraproteins are useless byproducts of the myeloma, but they're the marker that indicates that myeloma is there. So um, I was successful, or that chemo was successful, and I think my levels went down to virtually to, to zero, which, which said, okay, I'm now ready for a bone marrow transplant. And in order to do that, they let you have a rest for four weeks, and then I was to have the bone marrow transplant on the 4th of January. And, I, and they said, oh, you'll be the first you know, for that year at Westmead. I said, do you mind if I go second? I'd like you to have a bit of a practice first, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And 
nevertheless, they made me go first. And prior to that, what they do, um, sorry, prior to going through the marrow transplant, uh, what they do is they give you a drug to stimulate your stem cells and they make you produce as many of those as you can. And then they harvest them and went through that. That's a little bit painful because all the marrow producing cells in your bones in your body are working over time. Things get a bit painful because uh, it's crowded down there with all those cells you know, being produced. And so they whip those away and then they, they freeze them. The antifreeze they use you find out later is it's not very very nice the anti the antifreeze um, goes into the the stem cells and the antifreeze stops the cells being damaged but um, once the uh, start of the bone marrow transplant commences what they do is they give you a, what they describe as double lethal dose of a drug called melphalan that's given on one day and the following day uh, they give you your stem cells back, as if they didn't. Um, well, the other term for a bone marrow transplant is a stem cell rescue, and they call it a rescue because if they don't give it to you, that's it. Because what the melphalan does, it basically hollows out your, your bone marrow. It kills off every cell in, in your blood. Including the good ones? Including the good ones. And so the day after they give you that, they um, give you part of your stem cells back they they've kept basically half of what they harvested from me in case i need to have another one one. so i was given um the stem cells back and when they do that basically you smell like a fish market it just comes out of your pores in your sweat so that's what stem cells smell like that's well that's what the antifreeze (laughs) smells like and most of the practitioners there were, were good, but there was one person on reception who just said, don't come near me. Oh, that's <laughs> thought, a bit nasty. That's a bit rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's okay. People are allowed to react in, in their own way, and it's not a pleasant smell. You know, don't I have to put up with it, poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't smell myself, so that was fine. And they said, we'll admit you to hospital when you start to feel crook. And I was determined to be the second person to stay at home during the recovery from the from the transplant I got to day five and um, I knew I was I was crook and so at that particular point because all your cells have been taken away from you your hemoglobin you can't walk very far you get short short of breath really quickly is this when you Um, could only walk so was the walking the block a recovery well that was part of yes that's part of it but I, I couldn't walk anywhere at this particular point the the drug knocks off as well as your hemoglobin uh, red blood cells it knocks off neutrophils which are your immune system and so if i had a, a temperature at any stage over 38 i was to go straight to hospital i had this letter to say how is it how important i was because of this this thing because at that particular point and even now i'm more likely to die from an overwhelming infection than myeloma itself so because your um, immune system is so compromised yeah yeah the uh, immune system is deflated as much as it can be at that point and so i just started feeling crook i couldn't be bothered doing anything so i said they want to take me to to hospital um that was yeah five days into it and what the body does from that point on basically it tries to rid itself of um, the malphalan 
and the effects of it. So it just purges. I was lucky I never vomited with it, but um, that's the only thing I didn't do. Um, for the next 14 days, this is going to sound really off, next 14 days, every 45 minutes, I'd be running to the loop. So was that the side effects that, that you was, had? That um, was, that's the body trying, body trying to purge it from, because it not only strips the lining of bone marrow bones, it hollows out every hollow organ. in your body, from your mouth to your anus. And so it's just the effects. And I think in hindsight, the staff didn't really give a lot of information out about it. And for those people who are about to go through a marrow transplant, I really apologise for telling you. <laughs> but the least information is, is, is best, I think. You know, I didn't ask a lot of questions, just the basics. You know, if they had told me it was going to be like that, there's no way... I would have done it. So it's better to just sort of know not too yeah, much no, so you don't no, get overwhelmed. A little bit of information to know what they're doing and why they're doing it. But how is it going to affect you? They give you a booklet. You know, you'll be running to the toilet. You may be vomiting. You may be doing this. You may be doing that. That's fine. But they don't say the to the degree. Yeah. <laughs> to, to which. And that's a, that's a good thing. And so I was in hospital at for the next 17 days. And I don't honestly remember a lot about it. I know I got out of bed a lot of times. I know I slept through a lot of visits from Donna. And on one occasion, I remember saying to her, I don't want to play anymore. <sighs> so all in all, I think, um, the treatment's been worse than the disease. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's bad enough. Um, you know, this is just reliving it a bit, that's all. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, so that's probably the one and only time I've ever wanted to just give up. Because you just feel like shit. And I guess also no, not knowing how long you're going to feel that way. Ah, oh, yeah. A lot of unknowns. They kept a record up on the board. Day number, blood pressure, weight. Because on that dexamethasone, I think I put on 15 kilos. And in those 17 days, I lost 18 kilos. So as a weight loss program, I don't recommend it, but it bloody works, I tell you. <laughs> I guess there's nicer ways to lose yeah, weight. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was fantastic. <laughs> now, what a lot of people won't realise is that so multiple myeloma is actually an incurable blood cancer. So once you had sort of got through all of that stage, do you just have to have ongoing checkups to see if it has come back? Like I understand um, it's dormant yeah, at the moment. Um, so I, I see my um, hematology oncologist down here. At the moment, it's three monthly. So he checks those paraproteins and there's a few other things that, that indicate whether or not I've got it. So I've been sitting at zero for since um, January 2018. So um, two years, which is pretty good. And you also finally managed to make the move down to Gisborne as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Couldn't have done that without, without Donna. There was so much, you know, we achieved in that time. Even prior, while we were on, on the chemo, we, we sold an investment property just to finance the next couple of, 
couple of months um, because I really needed to work and so we were lucky we had that property we could fall back on because I'd given up work pretty much straight away. And even though you were going through the public system, it sounds like there was still obviously oh, a lot of yeah, expenses. But, you know, we still had bills and God knows what, so we had to do a lot of juggling of finances and things. Once the investment property was sold, we reduced mortgages, we reduced loans, you know, car loan disappeared, all that sort of, sort of stuff. And then... Um, what we were going through, you know, Donna couldn't work either, so she felt she had to, to give up work for there, and she hasn't worked since. But then, thankfully, you know, pension age. <laughs> <laughs> and I can access super, so that was that was all helpful. So you have your regular checkups to see. Oh, yeah, sorry. Been... Yeah, have the regular checkups, three monthly, and those things have been good for, for two years. I'm on a few different drugs, but one's to counteract the effect of the myeloma that I did have. It's to build up the bone structure in my lumbar vertebrae. Because of the myeloma eats away at the yeah, bone. Yeah, the bone um, cells themselves. So I get a monthly infusion. Infusion of? Of Semeta is the name of the drug. And that's what um, is a treatment for um, oh, calcium deficiency. And, oh, and, yeah. um, uh Oh, I know what you're yeah, talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm getting a treatment that females usually... Osteoporosis. Pro- osteoporosis, thanks. So um, I'm on that monthly. Uh, I take Keltrate, another osteoporosis drug, daily. And so the other drugs I, I take are, are really to counteract the treatment that I've had. So um, drug to stop my cramping. Oh, and again, because of the immune system, the most recent addition is something I take to keep the shingles away because I had a bout of that earlier this year up near my eye and the haematologist said, yeah, you've got to avoid that because, you know, it's a bit nasty if it gets into your eye and there's other places, you know, so for the rest of your life, Graham, you run another tablet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't win. Have you got a Webster's pack or something to keep track of? I used to work for them. <laughs> <laughs> know all about them. That was my uh, one of my specialties, medication management. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have that um, check up with the guy, you know, with a blood test every three months. Also a blood test monthly prior to the Sumeta infusion. How often is this Sumeta infusion? Yeah, uh, every month. Every yeah, month. Okay. Yeah, every month, and we have to um, adjust our travel around <laughs> around all the treatments but we can shorten the period sometimes or lengthen them out a little bit for the semester so it's a little bit flexible in that way and i guess it's like you said earlier that it's just learning a new kind of normal mm. and, and working around yeah it. exactly exactly and i don't know what the kerfuffle is about this coronavirus at the moment because it's you know <laughs> it's no different to what I live with every day. Yeah. You know, you got just have to wash your hands frequently and stay away from large groups of people. So you're you know? listening to that. So practice good hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If anything's going to kill me, it'll be Corona. Yeah. But, you know, as long as I do all the right things, I'm, I'm not going to get it. Same yeah. as everybody else. Why? The run on toilet paper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the other thing I wanted to ask is, now, being an incurable cancer, are there any misconceptions that people often have about it that you feel you have to kind of iron out? Not really. Incurable's incurable. The thing with 
myeloma though, you don't know when it's going to come back. But if I had a choice of diseases, I think I would choose myeloma because there's so many different treatments for it. We got together with um, a lady who used to be Donna's um, sister-in-law years ago. And uh, it turns out that uh, her partner has myeloma and he's had it for 17 years. You know, and he battles to keep his levels down at zero, whereas I'm lucky enough I didn't have to take any drugs to keep it down there. So um, if it does come back, I know that there's drugs in the background there that will be able to, to treat it. So if I had a choice of between that and pancreatic cancer, I'd take myeloma every day because I know in six months' time I wouldn't be here. I know when uh, my haematologist in Sydney first told us that... Um, we can, tr- we can treat this. You know, I've got a group of patients that are out at 17 years at the moment, says Warwick, and then I've got another group that's six to seven years. Oh, I said, put me in the 17-year group, please. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, if my disease took so long to develop, what I think is at least five years and maybe even longer, this whatever I've got appears to be slow-growing. And if they put it to sleep for a while, it's not going to wake up. If it's like me, it's not going to want to get up in the morning. (laughs) So I'm looking like I'll be around for a bit longer, much to people's disgust. (laughs) Um, Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier was that you didn't want people's sympathy and that you said they were only allowed to cry once and that was it. That was it. why did you make that rule, you can only cry once? Well... You're allowed to be upset when you're told something, you know, and I was upset with them. But if that persists, it gets a bit depressing. You know, I don't want to be reminded all the time that I'm I'm sick. And you're not allowed to be sad because I'm still here. So you should be grateful. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't have to be grateful because you might not like me. But... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I remember a lady who used to be in um, our kids' playgroup. We've been friends for forever. And I never got so many hugs and kisses from her when we told her. But today, you know, it's just business as normal. We don't go back and revisit all that, that sad crap. You move forward. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just not worth it. Waste of time. And, the, and they say stress helps the cancer develop. All that emotion must be part of the stress. And I, ah, I don't want it, yeah. you know. <laughs> Just get on, you know. Okay, so only cry once. So you said being sympathetic was one of the worst mm. things they could do. Were there any other things that, that you would tell people not, not to do? Not to do. No. No, I, I just wanted to be normal around me, you know. Yeah. And, and that's where I think I got on with the nurse that I... You know, I like more at the day hospital because they just joked and, you know, got on with it. And the specialist just did what he had to do, got on with it, had a joke, you know, it was all appropriate. I remember seeing him in the the day day hospital where I used to get the chemo treatment. This was just before my transplant. And I said, Warwick, you've got a lot to answer for (laughs) because I'd put on all this weight. And all he did, he just finished up at the desk. He stood up and said, we'll fix that soon, and walked off. 
<laughs> he didn't tell me what it was going to be like. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to lose weight. But he hinted it, okay. And it was lighthearted. That's all you have to be. Just, just be yourself. Yeah, definitely. All right, so what were the best things that people could do for you like, while you're undergoing your treatment? And also, because you're, you have a cancer that is incurable, even mm. just in day-to-day life, what are what mm. the best things people can do to kind of assist you through your journey? Well, again, it, it comes back to that sympathy thing, you know. Don't raise that. Just ask how I am. Don't dwell on it because it's gone. I haven't got cancer right now. It's asleep. You know, I'm just a normal. I just got some side effects from the awful treatment. Yeah. And that's really none of their, their business. You know, I don't need to whinge about how many pills I take. You know, I'm just normal. Absolutely. And you get more as you get older, yeah. as I learn. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the last thing I want is people saying, oh, how sorry they are. I've got it. I'm okay. I'm here. You know, I'm good. But... They start off being mopey and then, oh, bugger off. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't need it. So, <clears throat> well, I don't need it. Everyone's different. That's a common theme throughout all of these interviews is that, that everybody is different. Yeah. And I think also that they didn't like if people just sort of lost contact because they didn't know what to say. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think I experienced that. I don't have a huge circle of friends, but those that I've got, I, you know... <laughs> close and so those people know um if you don't want them around they know you know um i just want to be left alone you know to wallow or just recover to the point that you know i remember donna being there one day and i woke up and she was crying i said what's wrong nothing was wrong i was just ignoring her (laughs) no no it's I think it's harder for other people to see to, to see you like like that. I I knew I was all right, you know. I felt a bit shitty, and you know, one day in particular, even shittier. But I think it was harder for her and the the boys seeing me go through it all. So in that regard, is that why you wanted that time to be able to rest, so they didn't have to see you that way? Because did oh. that make it hard on you to see them? Upset? Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess I was being selfish. I don't like to see people, even you, <laughs> upset about it all. You know, um, it, it just probably makes it a bit harder, you know. Um, no, I just didn't need it. And I knew the people would be there at the end of it all, you know, where I came out. So, yeah, I'll see you later. Yeah. And, and I said that in the, in the post that I, I put on, um, on, on Facebook, you know. If I can't respond immediately, I'll be back with an update and a smart-ass comment as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was it, you know. I'll, I'll let you know how things are going when I want to see you. <laughs> but, so I suppose you know, so. let them dictate or let the person dictate if they do the, want the contact. to hear yeah. the contact. Yeah, but, but some, sometimes, you know, it's a bit hard to do that. People are want, wanting to come and just make sure you're okay. But um, yeah, just be a bit flexible. <laughs> to yeah. people's needs. All right, so be flexible to people's needs. I think that's a that's a good bit of advice. Now, what advice would you give from what you've learnt throughout your experience with multiple myeloma? Just ignore those birds in the background. Well, <laughs> we can hear those cockatoos love interrupting. Um, I think if you knew you had 
myeloma or you know someone with myeloma, just accept it for what it is. It's something that can be treated, it's incurable, but they can delay its effect for, for whatever length of time. And there's new treatments all, all the time. And you don't know when, you, when you're going to go. I could catch a coronavirus tomorrow and be gone by the end of the week. But why worry about it? You're not going to stop it <laughs> by worrying. And just, just treat people as, as, as they want to be treated, I think, with it. It's, it's not a death sentence. This one anyway, this disease. Can't say that about all cancers. But no, I'm, I'm not one to give people advice. Just it's, it's more how the person feels with the disease. I think, you know, how they cope with it. If they want to be morbid, let them be morbid. But it ain't going to work for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I know it wasn't an easy thing to do. And you, you sort of got... Um, offered to me by Donna, your wife, <laughs> and you politely obliged. So. Well, I, I surprised myself. I was um, more emotional than I thought I'd be. I'm, I'm a tough nut. <laughs> like to think I am. With a good sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not many people say that. I think that Graham's interview really highlights that even though you might be getting a bit fed up with staying home and not being able to go out, just remember that by doing this and, you know, social distancing, you're not just protecting yourself, but you are especially helping the immunocompromised people like Graham because if they get an infection or a virus, then they may not be able to fight it off and for them it can really be fatal. I think it's also important to note that despite having to exercise these kind of cautions in his daily routines, Graham is still able to live quite a normal and quite full life whilst living with myeloma. Now remember that the opinions heard in this episode are personal and they're reflective of the guest's individual experiences. They should not be taken on as medical advice. That's it for this episode, so look after yourselves and bye-bye for now.